Before we get started, I want to talk about sponsors that help make this show possible. I've partnered with swimming companies that can serve our international audience. I'd like to introduce our newest sponsor, Swim Angelfish. Swim Angelfish is an online certification program that strengthens your teaching curriculum to serve swimmers of all abilities. Swim Angelfish will prepare you and your instructors with the skills to teach swimmers with autism, physical disabilities, anxiety, sensory and motor conditions, and more. Learn to teach skills faster and with more comfort with Swim Angelfish. Apply for an only alpha pool product scholarship and receive up to 50% off your certification. Go to swimangelfish.com today to apply. One of the best ways to build power in the pool is by using a tower. I got introduced to Chuck Destro. Because of the way Chuck designed them, they can break down and ship in a much smaller box so they can ship anywhere in the world for a reasonable price. Use code BRETT at checkout and save $150 on a double swim tower. That means if you order two, you can save $300. Order four, save $600. Go to destromachines.com to get your team stronger in the water today. Looking to host your first swim meet or replacing an old timing system? Run a swim meet with ease from your laptop using superior swim timing. You can use superior swim timing with your existing equipment, or they can provide you with a complete timing solution, including deck harnesses, buttons, and starter. SST is fully compatible with HiTech and Team Unify, as well as Colorado, Dactronics, and Amiga touchpads. Go to superiorswimtiming.com to learn more and be sure to tell them I sent you. Nate's come out with another awesome tool for the swimming community. It's called Swim Nerd Live, and it allows the data and times from your actual scoreboard to be broadcast and viewed in real time on any smart TV, phone, or other device. It has all the information you're looking for, event, heat, lane, name of swimmer, times and places. One click on any device and they're watching your swim meet live in real time. Go to swimpractice.com to learn more. Okay. We have a podcast with two of my favorite people, Bruno and Michelle. How are you guys doing? We're here. What's up? What's up? Hello, Biggie Boss. What's going on? First person to ever come back on uh, Eastside with BH. <laughs> That's right. No, Popoff. Popoff did too. This is uh, so you're you're equal with Popoff now. Yeah, Popoff just talked too much. Man, it was two talking about the same stuff. <laughs> hey, listen. Let me say this. Congratulations to the both of you. Uh, Olympic bronze medal finally got to the podium after the third try, but we did it, man. We did it. We did it, man. We did it. Took us a few tries. Congratulations. I mean, congratulations for all three of us, right? Yes, definitely. We're all team here. And yep. uh, it was a good feeling. Mission accomplished type of feeling. Well, listen, when we say all three of us, it's kind of a strange thing for people to understand what actually happened here. You know, I, I'm not sure if people fully understand the teamwork that went into this uh, over the past, what has it been now? Has it been like four years? 
Uh, pretty much, yeah. We started this dynamics by the end of 2016. I think it was November 2016, and mm. that's what, we, what we've been doing since then. Yeah, I mean, you've been training uh, primarily by yourself, but your wife has been your coach, you know, on the deck and leading the practices, being your um, physiologist, your nutritionist, your psychologist. I mean, Michelle, uh, first of all, you've done an outstanding job the past five years. So congratulations. Thank you so much, Brad. Thank you. Mission accomplished, I can say. <laughs> but I mean, listen, there's been... There's been challenges to this, and I kind of want to go into some of that. Um, okay. You know, I want to I want to talk about some of the challenges maybe you faced over the past couple of years. But I certainly want to. I, I I talked to Bruno before we came on air, and I want to dig into maybe the last six weeks. I want to give people a snapshot into you know the ups and the downs of the last six weeks through the taper. Oh, first, first let me show you this baby here. Look at that. Oh wow! Hang on. Hang that. on. Hang on. Oh man, that is there's beautiful. A, there's a naked lady in the meadow. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, listen, both of you have really become kind of a, um, a social media um, phenomenon. I mean, with the reaction, first of all, uh, of how you after the race, Bruno, in terms of the what it meant to you after the race, but then also the two of you being able to share that moment together because. For most people, uh, they they didn't have family and friends in Tokyo, and you guys have each other as husband and wife, but also as coach and athlete. And you were able to share a moment. Uh, was it right before the podium, or was it after the podium, where you two kissed in front of the whole world? It was right after. I had just gotten my medal, and we were stepping away from the podium as we went through the, into a parade for the photographers and uh, I didn't notice at first, but Michelle was right there at the deck, you know, she managed to get in the deck. She, she, I think she found a way in, not sure if that, uh, that was uh, allowed, but uh, there she was. Yeah, Michelle, what, how did you pull that off? Well, I sneak it in because uh, I was trying to, to reach Bruno closer just to say congratulations. Yeah. Uh, you did it. But when I realized I was like inside the pool deck. So um, right, right after the, 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 the medal ceremony, mm -hmm. uh, he just turned to me and I said, oh, come on. I need to kiss my husband. <laughs> and I, did, I didn't think about anything. I just want to kiss my husband. It was like <laughs> so special because I had no idea the cameraman was like right after, right next to us. Mm. So that was the reason it was so special. And that cameraman, dude, that cameraman might have worked in a wedding before because he got all the perfect angles, right? <laughs> he, he did the spin. I mean, maybe he shot some romantic comedy before. I don't know, but it was, it was perfect. It certainly was kind of like a Hollywood uh, moment, you know. But um, but even just Give before the that. a bonus. <laughs> But before that, Bruno, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about the way that you reacted uh, with the medal. Um, even Caleb Dressel has come out and talked about how it affected him on the podium, the the way that the medal has affected you. So, why did this why did this medal mean so much to you? Well, people see the obvious, right? People see the medal and they see a gold, silver, bronze medal, and they see the time, they see you stepping on the podium, but 
would say I'm pretty sure 99.9% of whoever's watching that moment, even from up close, they have no idea what's behind it. So for me, that celebration was like coming out of uh, two failures, one in London, another one in Rio, and right after Rio having fell into depression. And considering quitting many times, also you remember we had a surgery in 2018. So going through a lot of stuff and of course the pandemic, all the struggle we had trying to find uh, uh, venues to swim and meets, not being sure if meets were going to happen or even if the Olympics was going to happen. And finishing all that, topping it all off with a, with an Olympic medal, I think regardless of the color of the medal, that, that was the celebration it was about. You know, it was about uh, perseverance. It was about uh, conquering a goal, but it was mainly about uh conquering how can i say um going g getting over struggles you know it was about just just um fighting challenges and, and winning the fight yeah well, let's go into a couple of those things uh you know in the previous couple of years we'll touch on some of them and then like i said i want to dig into um the three of us and some of the conversations that we had, personal conversations that we had over the last six weeks in the lead up to to this performance, because I think it kind of gives people a snapshot into the reality of the highs and the lows of of taper and and the way that kind of an athlete thinks and feels in those moments. So I'd, I'd certainly like to do that. Michelle, uh, how did you first agree to want to take on this role of kind of like a de facto coach where you're there with your husband every day on the pool deck and and working the practices like you did well first of all uh bruno doesn't like that i say that but i never wanted to become a swim coach so 2016 we got this um not too good results from rio and everything, every, everything else was was uh, going hard for us. So mm. you had your obligations with the university, and then you were super nice, just saying, "Guys, can stay here. I can keep writing, uh, writing the program, but Bruno needs to find someone that can coach him at the deck." And because of the reason we we are alone here, it's just me and Bruno in the United States. We we don't know like. Not a lot of people, our family is not here. Our friends from Brazil, of course, are not here. Um, we realized we don't have anybody. So in common sense, we talked to each other and I said, okay, I can do this. Why not? Um, I was like, I was doing nothing. I was, uh, I was just studying, but physically uh, doing nothing. And then we decided, okay, let's try. Let's go to the words. 2017 and see what happens and then we did yeah and had had some amazing success uh the first worlds is that where you got bronze bruno no that was 2015 that budapest worlds okay. we got two silver two medals silvers. one with the, with the 50 freestyle another one with the relay okay and then 17 what was the result there 
2017 was Worlds, then uh, two silver medals, then that's when I saw my PB, 21, 27, PB so far. 2018, that's when we went to to that road trip in um, in um, Europe to swim the circuit, preparing towards uh, pen packs, and that's when I got hurt and had to have surgery. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, we we had some surgeries in between. Uh, what was it like to train by yourself for the a number of years, Bruno? Like, how how were you able to do that? Most people could not possibly pull that off. I like it. You know, I prefer much better to swim uh, with e either by myself or at most with uh, two, three teammates tops. But I think that that relates to the part of my career I am right now. Of course, you can train by yourself when you're a teenager or when you're just starting, you need that team structure. You need that team motivation, that team spirit. But I've gone through few years of really large teams. But uh, right now, I just prefer to do it by myself. I mean, I, I like to pace myself. I like to find my own motivation. I like to do, make my own schedule. You know, I'm not, not really into... But that's important to say. Now, after my third Olympic, preparing towards my third Olympics and at 32 years of age, that's where I like to be. I like to be training by myself. In silence. In silence. Silence, it's very underappreciated. <laughs> so I love silence when I'm working. <laughs> Michelle, tell me this. I, I try and explain this to people all the time, but you see it every day. I, I say Bruno's the most disciplined athlete that I've ever coached. Um, and, and a lot of people talk about sacrifice, and I know Bruno doesn't like the word sacrifice, Michelle, just in kind of your words, what do you see from him that separates him maybe from just other good athletes? I mean, what does he do that most athletes aren't prepared to do? Well, um, I used to say that there is just not only one way to, to make things happen. Um, the way we do, does make does make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. The way we do is like is the way we find that can help us to 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 reach our goals. So yes, of course, Bruno is very 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 um, disciplined. Disciplined. Thank you. Mm -hmm. But I believe the the other athletes are too. So um, but Bruno is very is very focused. Is like he's not crazy. Like he's just just living to swim and everything. We try to the last. Um, few years we try to manage the the balance of everything like life things that he likes to do um and then separate from things he cannot do right now like eat certain types of food for example and ride a motorcycle no please come on <laughs> but yeah uh, i i truly believe there is ways to go to your your goal but bruno just He's not special on this way. He's just he just found a way to do this for himself. What, what about like what I think is that the, yeah. the way I like to think is that you just do what you need to do to win, you know, to perform. So if you choose to if you choose to perform, if you choose to be an Olympic athlete, you've got you, you have to behave accordingly, you know. 
So you can choose to be a, to be an Olympic athlete. You can set a goal of being an Olympic medalist and go out partying every weekend. Yeah, again, with a balance. Because so, the, the last two cycles was a little different, right? So, yeah. You just got to behave you, accordingly. You've also told me, Bruno, that you like that Michelle is kind of a hard taskmaster. Like she, she holds you accountable too, and you like that. Why do you like that? Because I think we're all humans, and uh, at times, I mean, right now we're talking not even a week after Olympic success, but at times you want to quit when things are hard, right? The human mind is, uh, is conditioned to search for comfort. So at times you want to quit, at times you don't want to wake up to your practice, at times you just want to sit down on the couch, Netflix, the entire night with a pound of ice cream. And uh, it's good to have someone who pushes you to the limit because uh, it helps you. It helps you take care of the part where where you're seeking comfort. You know, I do believe there's there's nothing better to sabotage success than than this pursuit of comfort. So I, I really like having someone. I really like having a hard ass coach coaching me through all the season. <laughs> and what about times where you feel like michelle where he needs his wife like it, is it tough to find that balance between okay now's the time where i got to be hard on him and that now's the time where i got to be a little softer for him michelle uh but easy uh during this journey we learn a lot we keep we have been learning a lot from each other but on the top of it i think it's about respect uh dialogue can i say that dialogue yeah, yeah. communication we do we do yes 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 we do we do everything with love we have the same goal so even even the on the tough days on the toughest days uh every time we we came home was just like bruno and michelle the wife and the husband so anything we need to to live at the pool we learn how to do it so i think this is one of the things they work it so so good yeah that, that was one thing that we had to learn quick in the beginning because when we first started to to work as coach and athlete we would carry that swimming pool conversation through the to the dinner table you know and that was not being healthy so we had to fix that quick so now we're, we're learning a little better how to how to manage marriage and uh and the coaching athlete relationship a little better yeah um well it's awesome well i also want to say uh a big congratulations to michelle in terms of most people might not know but you actually we were teammates in 2008 you swam on the brazilian yes. olympic team you're, you're an olympic <laughs> yeah. swimmer yourself so this is oh, where you yes. get your knowledge from and now you're an olympic coach i think it's the first time in in brazil's history that a former swimmer has become a, an olympic coach and now an olympic coach uh medalist coach so yes. congratulations Thank you so very much. It's a it's a, it's a nice um, story of our lives, né? Because 2008 we were there together, me and you, and then now, few years later, we are here celebrating this same medal we conquered together. So this is just amazing. Yeah. And talking about Bruno relationship we have uh, as coach and Natalie, you know better than me how tough it is to coach Bruno, right? Mm. Sometimes we just want to 
turn out and then leaving him like talking to himself because he, he's tough. He's hard to manage. But that's the reason we have to learn um, how to manage things and come home just like wife and husband. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, I think there's a time where I wanted to punch him in the face. I know. <laughs> <And> I, <laughs> I think there's times where he wanted to punch me in the face. So I think that's I kind know. of the, the way it's been. But listen, I think some of the best relationships uh, are forged through tough times as well. And we have come back to each other. There has been um, other people in, who have affected and been part of your um, journey the past couple of years. Um, do you want to give any shout-outs while we're here, Bruno, to a couple of people? I mean, someone that comes to mind for sure is Bruno Darzi. Bruno Darzi, absolutely. Uh, he's been always very supportive, very welcoming, uh, opening the doors of, uh, of course, Spring Swim Club so we can get our preparation in, which, in my opinion, best place I ever trained. It's amazing. Beautiful swimming pool, state-of-the-art facility. And, uh, of course, my strength coach, Luigi Marino, psychologist, Carla DiPiero. I mean, it's, a, it's just a type of goal that you don't accomplish alone. You know, you have a lot, a lot of people around you. You need to have a lot of people around you if you want to accomplish something that big. You know, that's something I said in, uh, in an interview for a Brazilian bro uh, broadcaster. It's that it, it comes to be unfair that I step in on the podium by myself because if you think in the end of the day, I have one of the easiest jobs, which is just step on the block and swim, you know? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there was a decision-making uh, point for us where, you know, I, I think you had out of – um, respect asked me if I wanted to come to the Olympics this time around and be part of the Brazilian team. And, um, you know, we had a discussion and for me, the way I felt about it was like, I had a chance to re represent Brazil and be with you at the Olympics. And, and we weren't as successful as I wanted us to be in 2016. And Michelle had been doing a lot of the work. Um, she knew you better than anybody. And I felt like it was a chance for her to really step in and, and be that person for you at the at the games and and I don't regret that decision one bit there was I'll be honest with you a couple of days before the Olympics started I, I felt uh, a fear of missing out you know that that FOMO you know I wanted to be there but um, I think it worked out for the best Michelle you you feel pretty confident or happy with the the way that that everything ended up in terms of that decision definitely uh, I know that was hard for you but I really appreciate your um, decision. It was a very big challenge for me, but I think we made it like in the easiest way because we just trying me and you to bring Bruno in a calm pace, right? Just so, just making him realize the work was done, and then we were there just to to finish this thing we started a few years ago. So again, mission accomplished. Yeah. Well, let's dig into it a little bit, Bruno. Um, we've had this kind of theory that uh, racing has been important for you. In, and look, you've gone now, I think it's under 22 seconds, 91 times in your career, I think was the Olympics uh, finals, the 91st time. Um, 
at 32 years old and 32 days, you know, you finally win this Olympic medal. But, uh, you know, you've been the most consistent sprinter in the world in terms of just backing up race after race and performing on the circuit um, more than anyone else in the world in the last three or four years. So what has been the theory for us? I want to give people a personal idea of like why we did that and, and how it's helped you, you think? I personally think that racing is the best training you can possibly get, especially as a sprinter. All the rest, all the other stuff you do at home, that's actually just physical conditioning. You know, you're just getting physically in shape so you can race later on, later on the season. But like the actual training that really matters, that really is going to put you in a competitive, not only competitive uh, type of shape, but also mentally, it's racing. You cannot, you cannot uh, mimic at training at home what happens in actual racing, like the suit, the call room, the anticipation, sometimes the shaving, you know? So at least for me, racing was racing repetitively it's uh, the most important part of, of the whole preparation. And especially in the last, you know, since since, since the Rio disappointment, um, we've really had this idea of we want to race as much as possible. And for us, the best chance to do that has been kind of the Mare Nostrum circuit. And we've been doing that every preparation now. And that's something that's been super successful for us, right? I think so. That was a big change, actually. We I think we remember... Uh, we used to race once, maybe twice before before our main meet. And actually, we realized that I think it was 2015 when uh, I raced the World Cup circuit before the Brazilian Open, which we were tapering for. And uh, after racing the World Cup circuit, I just went to Brazil, swam the Open, and I swam my 21.3, which was my PB by then. And uh, man, the Martin Ostrom circuit alongside with the French Open and the Seta Coli right after, for me, is the best uh, is the best racing circuit that is because you're just going from city to city, racing against the best in the world. Nobody's tapered, so you just got to figure out a way of performing. And sometimes it's sunny, sometimes it's raining, sometimes it's cold, sometimes it's hot. So you never know what you're going to get mostly outdoor pools so it's really it's really training your your psychological part it's training your mental performance to a way where just like i said you just gotta figure out a way of performing you know that's that was key for us i never got to swim 21 man my best was 2207 and you've done it 91 times it's very selfish of you i think uh, <laughs> how how do you swim 21 man how do you do it <laughs> actually you want to know you want to know the reason why you didn't swim a 21 yeah because you train like a distant swimmer that's why <laughs> that's true yeah. back in the day we in australia how, i mean how i swim how i swim 21 so many times i train like a sprinter yeah. So our weight training, I mean, one of I think one of the biggest mistakes swimmers do oftentimes, it's to be afraid of of weight training, of getting stronger. You know, there's this misconception, this urban legend that swimmers can't lift weight, swimmers can't lift heavy, 
and I think that's uh, that that's not true at all. And the other thing, it's um, some people they're afraid of of resting. I think when you're screener resting is escape. You, you can't be just pounding workouts over workouts on your head. And last but not least, just race. Just like we said here, racing is one of the most important parts of training. People think that when they go, when they travel and they're away for several weeks just racing, they're missing practice. But they're actually like doing the most important part of practice, you know. So it's, it's a little bit of this misconception that training means only pound yardage in your home pool, which I strongly disagree. Yeah. Well, let's dig into the last six weeks a little bit because for me, for me, Michelle, and it was the same for you, there'd be times where we'd be on a group chat together and everything was good. And then there are other times where I'd get a separate message from you personally where things weren't so great and it was us trying to figure out how to get Bruno in the right space, whether physically or mentally, most of the time mentally, because look, it's, it's, there's a lot of mental stress that goes into preparation for an Olympic games and performance. And like you said, Bruno, in your own eyes, you felt like you'd been unsuccessful the last two Olympics. So going into your third Olympics, there was a lot of pressure to, to get on the podium for you personally. Um, And so I think we were feeling that pressure for sure. Um, so let's, let's kind of just walk through from the moment you get to Europe. Well, where was the first stop in the European stop? There was Monaco. Monaco. Okay. So Michelle, how was he, um, right before Monaco started, how was he physically and, and mentally you felt like before the racing started? Well, before uh we got in europe was was a very stressful preparation for this trip because all all, all because of all the covid mm. requirements and restrictions yeah uh, you have to to have a certain uh number of documents and was like uh, we almost couldn't couldn't make it but that was very stressful for him so until he's got into the airplane, he was very, very stressed. Yeah. So, but the trip was amazing. It was everything good, organization and everything. But in Monaco, um, when we got to the pool, he was not feeling that good. He was not feeling powerful. And we will try to understand where we was at the, the training part and try to understand the body, res- the body responses and then we start to race and he was not feeling well he was not feeling fast and then was the time we start uh seeing the other um swimmers and everybody was on the same boat yeah because basically what happened is that on the last years we create a pattern right so we would do basically uh the same type of training at the same period of the year and when we got to the European circuit, we were pretty much ready. That happened in 2017, 2018, and 19. But of course, with 2020 was a completely off year, pandemic and all. Not only uh, I, lot of, I lost a lot of conditioning all the way until pretty much December, January. So it was hard to recognize where I was in terms of uh, of conditioning, of power, of speed, of the qualities I needed to race. 
So I think at some point I almost like freaked out a little bit, not knowing how to, how to perform, you know? Yeah. One of the things that certainly came up early, um, when you got to Europe was this feeling, this lack of feeling of, of power, like you didn't feel powerful and that's something that was really bothering you. And, um, listen, if I scroll through my messages, I, I could probably pick the exact moment, but there was a moment during that Monica meet where things almost fell apart for us mentally. Do you remember that? Oh, that, I think it was on the last swim, the fifth swim, swimming 21, 22 flat. Hmm. First of all, I think it's unacceptable that I go to a meet and swim at 22 flat unless I'm like hairy with a big beard and pounding training. So going to the Mar Nostrum, having broken the, the circuit record, the previous edition and finishing off in second place swimming at 22 zero, that was something that got me worried. And I started to ask myself if it was supposed to be in that type of, of situation on, on that moment. You know, so that, that was, that was a little, that was a little tough. Yeah. Well, that was the first experience that I had, Michelle, where we'd, we'd gone to the meet and, and we're really starting to freak out a little bit. Like it was like troubling, like Bruno's, Bruno's not in a good place, either physically or mentally, because we felt like, all right, something's lacking here, but we're, we're also running out of time. You know, like you said, we, we, we dealt with COVID we dealt with the stress of even trying to get to Europe and now we're in Europe and we feel like something's missing. That's a horrible feeling for a swimmer, but also it's a helpless feeling for a coach, right? Yeah, because um, we were sending messages to each other and trying to understand what, what's going on, right? But working with Bruno's confidence was the key for that because we were trying to understand, okay, you need to rest, but you rest on the right time. So here, just let's race, right? Right. Yeah, there was. For it was. Record, it was. Yeah. For the record, uh, having gone through the entire experience now, I do know what happened. So we're talking about it later. Tell me what happened. Privately. 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 And uh, again, go, have gone through the entire preparation. Uh, that wasn't. I mean, to win a medal in Tokyo right now, it wasn't a physical race. It wasn't about speed. It wasn't about pulling water. You, you couldn't power through it. So it was more of a mental race than any other thing, you know? And that was that what it was during the, the European circuit. Because, I mean, now, now I'm talking about it, whatever. It's uh, what it was lacking. It was pure training. So you cannot just go through entire pandemic and be three months off and uh, expect to race at your best a few months later, you know? So it took us years and years of hard training, of repetition, of conditioning to get to a point where we could drop 21 mids, 21 lows at any time. So I do think that having an off 2020 got in the way of, of being able to find more speed and power in, in the races. Uh, who ended up beating you in Monaco? Who won that circuit race? That was Don De Boer, which made it even worse. He was worse. Olympic finalist. Yeah, but at the time, which made, made it even worse because I have never heard of that dude before. True. <laughs> I was like, and he, and he went a best time. He's beating me. 
That's that's against the rules, man. That's disrespectful. That's his his best time was like a few years before on the the European, right? Yeah, his best time wasn't even a twenty one, and the guy was dropping like twenty one sevens on my head. So that was, uh, I mean, I guess that was just Olympic year, man. That kind of stuff always happens. Yes, Olympic years. true. Yeah, but it also starts to you. you sh- Doubts start to creep in. All of a sudden, you, you, you've never really heard of this guy. He's beating you at the circuit, you know, five weeks before the Olympic Games. Yeah. And this is where the real doubts start to creep in. And this is where swimmers have to deal with kind of the, the psychology of performance as well, right? Yeah, I mean, there's nothing better for confidence than winning races. And the opposite is also true. So if you're winning, you're happy with it, you're glad with it, even if... Uh, even if you're not swimming at your best. But if you're losing races that you set up yourself to win, it's a, that's when you start asking questions. So you finished second in time. To- what was the time? The final. I swam, I swam I think, 21-8. 21, yeah, 8-7. And then 22-0. 22-0 in the final. Right. Yeah, but we but did we did get twenty one. It wasn't even that. The, the worst part is that I didn't feel I was able to finish races. You know, I was racing a great thirty meters, but then yeah, twenty meters off the wall was just shutting down. I'll be like standing in the pool. You know? Yeah. So then, what was the what was the next leg? We 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 finished there. We finished second. Confidence isn't real high. You got beat by someone you're not really sure of who he is, but you you know you kind of know him, but. It's not fun. Um, so what's the next leg in the circuit? Then we go to Kane. Kane, okay. So, so what? Talk, talk to me about that. Talking. Yeah, that's that's what I was talking about. The modern ocean, why it's so good? Because we wake up the next morning, and you wake up a little beat up from from the meat. You board a bus, and then you have a, how long is the trip? Well, before that, we woke we woke up 4.30 a.m. Yeah, to get the up, bus at 6 a.m. Yeah, you wake up at like 4 a.m., you board the bus at 6, and then you have like this six hours bus yes. ride. You get to kind of sleep, you're racing the next day. Next morning. Wow. Next morning. And it was like cold, it was rainy, <laughs> it was like drizzling, and uh, very windy in the pool. And um, after the morning swim, which we have here, it was uh, 22.50. I swim oh. the final in 22.12. It was even worse. <laughs> and it was like you and Flo just looking to each yeah, what's that, going on. Yeah, but that's <laughs> the fun part because I win this race. <laughs> but I'm tied with Flo, huh? Yeah. No, not by much. Oh, tied with Flo, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, tied, we tied me and him. So it was that feeling of we look at the scoreboard, we both have won the race. But in 22-22, we looked to each other. It's like, what the hell is happening to us? <laughs> and we we were like that for the next hour, just like one talking to another and like going on the podium. We were like feeling this awkward <laughs> thing on the podium. Like, dude, are we supposed to like be glad because we won? Or are we supposed to be extremely worried because we did it in 22? So it was uh, it was interesting. It was very fun. Yeah, but one of the things I noticed once once we started to talk was winning means something to you as well. It it does something to your confidence. And and you know, if Flo had have beaten you by confidence, man. 
Yeah, for sure. But I mean, if, if Flo had have beaten you by a hundredth of a second, to me, it was like almost the world would have ended. But because you tied with him, it's like, okay, I can kind of live with that. Like, I'm not, things aren't as bad as I may think they might be, you know? I mean, what are you supposed to do when you're in the swim race? Put your hand in the wall first, right? That's what my friend uh, Paul Trenieri says, yes. Exactly. So if you put your hand in the wall first, it's good. If you don't put your hand in the wall first, it's not that good. <laughs> So, all right, we swam not so fast, but we've got a little bit of confidence because we touched first with, uh, you know, a former Olympic champion and one of our main exactly. rivals. Exactly, and, and also all the conditions. Like I said, it was raining, it was cold, we were tired from the trip. So at that part, time wasn't really that important. It was more like the ability of racing and getting your hand in the wall first. Right, okay. So the third leg, we go from Kenai to where? To Barcelona. Barcelona. And I remember Barcelona was when we, we talked and I was like, Brad, I feel like crap, man. I just swam like 22. I feel bad. And uh, we got to do something about it. And uh, you and Michelle told me to get a couple of days of rest, right? It was just like, don't sprint. Don't do aerobic. Don't go thrasher. Don't, don't do anything. Just go to the pool, swim easy, and lay for the rest of the day. And uh, a couple of days of rest, we swam almost half a second faster in the final. Yeah, I think, Michelle, one of the things we've figured out with sprinting and, and especially with Bruno is, you know, when th when the circuit you know, is fried, when, when his body's feeling exhausted, it, it's just rest. I mean, he just yeah. needs rest. It's not a matter of trying to trying something new in practice or getting more work in. It's really just, hey, let's pull back. And, and that's a very difficult thing to do you know, five weeks out of the Olympic Games just to say, hey, let's let's get more rest. It's a it's a it's a mental challenge to be able to say, take some time off. Yeah, it's a mental challenge and even more, uh, it's not just about physiology, it's about experience, right? Because me and you, we were there before. We know exactly the way he was feeling, right? So rest was was our word for that race. Mm, yeah exactly and and it and it it showed up right bruno you took a couple of days of just um completely chilling out and and it showed up in barcelona yeah uh we swam there at 21 7 and it was not only rest but it was also I had to adapt my way of racing according to what i was doing because, of course, the, the race strategy I was using years before wasn't working that well anymore. And that was something I carried for the rest of the, for the, rest of the uh, season. If you see an underwater footage of the Olympic final, my stroke and my body position especially looks very different from what it used to be. Because at those type of at these type of conditions we're dealing right now, when with the limited time we had to train, that's what I needed to do. So it was resting and it was a little bit of adapting to the, to the circumstances as well. Right. And by the end of the meet, I was feeling so good that I even ended up uh, swimming 100. Right. That's right. Yeah. We decided to swim the 100. Who, who did you end up beating in Barcelona? Who, who were you racing there? I was Tom. racing Tom again. Yeah. And uh, there were a couple of guys I don't remember right now, but Jesse was there. Puts. There were a couple of good the guys. The Venezuelan guy was there too. 
Yes, true, true, true. Flow, flow wasn't there, but it's but it's nice to come back, you know, like within a week and beat the guy that beat you, you know, at the start of the week, right? Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, yeah. So you know, we got a couple of wins at the back end there. So then we had how many days until the uh, competition in Rome? Then we had two and a half weeks in uh, in Portugal. It was a training camp. We were just chilling in Portugal, waiting for the sixty calling. And that was um, challenging for us, Michelle. Like, it's not something where you're like, okay, let's just do this. Like, it's, it's something that you have to work out on the fly. I mean, you have to be adaptable. You have to um, kind of be in communication with each other. I'm in America. You're in Portugal. You're seeing certain things. Um, so it was it was stuff that we were working out as we were going, but we're – we're using our experience and our knowledge of Bruno and sprinting to make adjustments on the fly. So how did you feel as a coach? What, what did we accomplish in those two and a half weeks? Yeah, in some situation, uh, situations, it was very hard to, to translate his feelings to you because um, we usually say, I am your eyes here, right? I'm with Bruno, I'm seeing what you cannot see. Of course, sometimes we just do FaceTimes on the sessions. I sent you videos, but it's not the same. So we need we needed a fast adaptation because he needed fast answers, right? To understand what's going on and what 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 we're gonna do the day after. So it was a, it was a big challenge because um, we came from the races from the Mare Nostrum and then we started training again. And he was not responding well because he was very tired. And then we need to put him to rest again, even if he didn't want to do that. But what was hard to, to manage the situation, just, okay, let's give him a little bit and then just hold a little, a little bit. But, yeah, we did it. Yeah, I think, Bruno, we, we may have even made a little mistake early on by trying to push too hard too early, right? I, I, and that was because, on me. Because he, he asked for it. He was he was yeah. waiting for more training to feel better. Yeah, that's right. I think there was that that doubt of like, oh, hey, I haven't done enough work because, you know, yeah. you're coming off the COVID situation. Yeah. But it's like, I'm lacking some work here, so let me get back to work. That's your mentality. But we had to pull back. Because that's, that's exactly what I was talking about. We had a pattern of work. And we try to follow the pattern without having the the foundation of it. So we didn't have the conditioning on the bit. We didn't have that all that fall training, you know, hmm. going into the season. So I didn't have the conditioning I needed to tolerate that, that load of work that we were supposed to be doing at that time of the year. And of course, we're trying to to mimic. We try to repeat. The, the pattern we we had years before, but it wasn't working because I wasn't tolerating the work. My body, my body couldn't take the hit. Yeah, yeah. So we 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 ended up resting more than we wanted to, but then we also we we got into some work. We we did some. I think I think at that time was kind of the last of the hundred type work. Did we still do a little bit of hundred work in that period of time? Yes. Yes. That was a very tricky situation because we were talking about uh, resting early, but at the same time, we were discussing about not not resting too much. Hmm. 
So those couple of weeks were a little bit on the safe side of uh, trying not to try not to fry, trying not to break down and practice and risk getting injured or even risking a, an overtraining type of situation. And also we didn't want to rest too much because we, if we start resting, if we just shut down six weeks before the game, it's almost guaranteed I'm going to get to the games and I'm going to lose strength mainly and I'm going to get out of shape and things like that, things like that are going to happen. Yeah. Because, I mean, given a little, given a little background, people don't, don't really know that during taper, we end up not swimming much more than a thousand meters a day. So if you, if you're just like three weeks, four weeks swimming a thousand meters a day, you're going to lose something. Yeah. Uh, Michelle, as, as his coach, were you confident that we had done enough uh, for the Olympics in those two periods? Uh, how did you feel going into Rome at that stage? Well, going to Rome was like, as soon as we leave Portugal, we were more confident uh, the way he was feeling. And then we were, of course, happy going to the Setecoli because it's a, it's a swimming pool he loves. So he feels good there because we had a lot of friends there. So it was like, was a positive environment for him, you know? So racing a place we like, racing a place uh, with you know mm. people that loves you, brings him like, okay, let's do it again. And then we could swim faster. But that was only one race because of COVID. They split the sessions in three sessions. Yeah, we had and it was like finals. one shot, one shot, yeah. Time finals, and I remember we did we did rest a lot three days into the meet, going into the meet. So, and also the mindset helps a lot because knowing you're not feeling amazing and knowing what type of of shape you're at, and uh, having the experience of racing the entire mountain ocean, uh, I kind of created this plan of action in my head. And we went to Rome, decided to, to accomplish one goal and one goal only. So in my head, for me, I just had to win the race in Rome. We knew it was going to be just one shot. So I just had to win and I just had to swim the best time in the season so far. So that was my goal. When you talk about the fact that you had to win, I mean, obviously you've got competition there and there's, there's a lot of fast guys. And how do you, how do you figure out that you're going to win a 50 free. I mean, it's not really in your control. So in terms of like feeling like I have to win this, what are the things you have to do you feel like in order to win? Well, there's something Michelle tells me when I tell her I'm not feeling amazing. She turns to me and says, figure it out. That's pretty much it. Just figure the hell out. People are going to swim fast, swim faster. People are going to be feeling good, feel better. People are going to swim a 21.9, swim a 21.8. If someone swims a 21.8, you swim a 21.7. You just figure it out. So when I say that when I say that I need to win, I want to win, of course, during the race, I, I know where people are. So And uh, also, what I'm in control is that I need to nail my start. I need to do a good job in my underwaters and my breakout and on my strong temp, my stroke tempo and my efficiency. And I've got to be that fast by 25, that fast by 35. 
And of course, there's also because I know I have I have the ways of winning. You know, I know I'm, I'm I've, I've worked hard and I'm talented enough to to be confident that I can win that race. So when you go to the call room, you just you just look around and you got to make sure you beat everyone mentally before you had even have a hand blocks. And once you do this, this, this mental part of the race, because I mean, racing a 50 freestyle, you know, you're in the call room, you can pretty much tell who's going to swim fast and who's, who's not. After you beat everyone mentally in the call room, just go behind the block and beat them physically. Wow. Okay. So that's, that's interesting. What I try to do. So tell me, uh, what, what did you end up? What was the time you ended up swimming to win that race? 21.71. 21.71. Right. And you felt good knowing that you could swim faster four weeks later at the Olympic Games? Yeah, I felt good because it was, again, I just figured out a way of swimming fast. It doesn't mean that we tapered. It doesn't mean that I did something different in regards of of uh training it just means that i approached the race differently my mindset was was set up differently uh in a way that i put myself in a, in a position of, of winning the race yeah so it was more like getting out of this hole of lack of confidence and doubt and just putting my mind in the right place so it was at that point you know you'd you'd finish your preparation in terms of all the training was done. All the racing was done. Now it's taper time. Now you both look to me to be like, okay, what are we doing? What's the, what's the magic now? And so uh, I, I kind of just spent some time in my own thoughts, you know, for, you know, 24 hours. And there was, I don't know when it was, but I, I remember you were kind of asking me and asking me and I, I hadn't come up with the answer yet. And then it kind of just hit me like, all right, we're going to train to to just swim as fast as we possibly can. You know, it doesn't mean we're going to swim short distances because I know as a, as a coach, I've tried that in the past and it hasn't enabled you to finish your races. So I knew there had to be an element of endurance in our taper, but I also wanted it to just be at top end. So I, I came up with this idea of just swimming, fast 25s uh and and it was a combination and i think we the three of us decided together to combine kicking pulling swimming and also diving off the blocks but it was really just going to be i just want to go as fast as we possibly can and uh, we created this taper where it was a series of 25s and as the weeks went on the 25s descended down i think we started at 24 25s and it it drop down to uh, a couple by, you know, a few days out, right? Yeah, and it's important to point also that by that time when we were planning taper, we were planning to swim a, a PD, right? Mm -hmm. So you're not you're not going to the Olympics just thinking that, yeah, I don't want to swim a PD, let's just swim a 21.5. I mean, if someone had told me that a 21.5 would make the podium in the Olympics, I'll never believe them. So we were still thinking that, okay, we're in 21.7. How are we dropping at least half a second from here? So that's when we came up with the idea. Yeah, uh, swimming as fast as we can. Now, at no stage did we ever talk about being beaten at the Olympics either. Um, you know, our, our goal was to win. And I, and I want to be clear on that. Um, 
we have a very strong appreciation for your competition and how good they are. I mean, everybody knows Flo Manadou and what he's capable of and his physical capabilities. Everybody knows Caleb Dressel and 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 what he'd done previously at World Championships and NCAA. So there was no disrespect in terms of our competition, but we certainly weren't preparing to lose. We were preparing to win, right? Yeah, of course. When you're training to, to anything, I mean, when you're going – and make a job application you're not expecting not to get hired right you're not doing things just because so especially when you're training and you're training to for world championships for trials for for the olympics you just gotta believe you have to win and uh again that that doesn't mean that we think we don't think our competition are good enough it's just that it, it's an element of, of confidence you just need to have you know the same thing, when you're swimming trials, you believe you can make the cut. You believe you can make the team. So it's it's about it's about knowing where you're capable of, knowing how far you can get. And I do think I believe to this day that I you can win I can win swim meets, I can win swing uh, swim races. Michelle, was there ever a period privately where he would talk about his competition? You don't have to give names, but was there a time where he had doubts? about being able to beat a certain person or did that never come up during the taper? Never, never. Mm -hmm. Good. Never. I mean, in the end of the day, we're all humans, right? There's nothing like nobody's Superman and uh, we're all humans. We all, we all equal pretty much. And, uh, things happen. Things happen. You, you've seen that before. You've seen like, you just seen that what an 18 year old win the 400 free. Was that was that yeah, his yeah. age? Mm -hmm. You seen Kyle Chalmers? He was barely over puberty, winning the hundred free in Rio. So I mean, this kind of stuff happens all the time. Who would have said that Anthony Irving would win the fifty in Rio in two thousand fourteen, in two thousand even two thousand fifteen? I remember Anthony Irving struggled to be in the final in the two thousand fifteen Worlds. So it's the Olympics, man. Anything can happen, and you gotta believe anything can happen. You so that's the mental that's yourself. the mental approach, and that's what helps you get through the taper period where you have the, the doubts start to creep in for everybody in taper. We all know this, you know. That's that's you, you have that in taper, but for you to be able to get through those doubts, you say to yourself, "Anything is possible. I'm good enough. Uh, anything can happen on the day," and that's kind of the way you get through those things, is it? Yeah, you. I think you just got to have faith in your work in the people with you. I mean, I'm coached by my wife who want me to succeed as much as she want to be successful. I'm coached by you, which in my opinion, you're the best sprint coach probably in history. And, uh, I mean, and I'm talented enough. I've proven several times in the past that I'm talented enough and I feel talented enough, like feel ready. So it's, uh, it's almost automatic. You believe you can you can win things. All right, let's move on to the Olympics then. So you you're at the games. Um, look, you didn't swim until day seven, so you've got to sit there and watch a lot of fast swimming. How difficult is that to to be at the games, watching the swimming, knowing that hey, I've got to just relax here. I remember at some point I was even refusing to watch the meet because I got so pumped up that. I mean, that will give me trouble uh, resting, you know. 
But I think the worst part, it's seeing your teammates just dropping the ball as soon as they finish racing. I mean, as soon as some of your teammates finish racing, they start being tourists in the village. Mm. And for me, that's that's one of the most, I mean, that's one of the worst parts of waiting until the last day. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember that on the Australian team, man. It's difficult. Like, they're, they're done. It's <laughs> I mean, like party time. Yeah, out of the sudden, people are in the village just to eat pizza and uh, and buy souvenirs. So it's uh, that that's the hard part, in my opinion. You're trying to stay focused. You're trying to sleep on time. You're trying to 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 get your job done. And people by the room next to you, they're sleeping in the middle of the night, sleeping in the entire day, showing up with bags and bags of souvenir every day so it's uh that's something that makes harder for you to for you to focus on your on your race well listen you you get to race day michelle how did you feel waking up on race day uh for the prelims let's say well the prelims are at night so how how did you feel that day in terms of did you feel he was ready to go um when i was there i realized that my mood can interfere on his mood Mm. So on the first day of racing, I just woke up at 5 a.m. and I went for a run. That, that's getting married for you. Kids, <laughs> that's how it is when you get married. So <laughs> I gone for a run and then I just started feeling amazing because I was taking care of myself, putting my mood up. And then we start the day. We start the day singing. We start the day um, with uh, good talks. And sometimes, then sometimes we're the annoying couple. You know, you know the annoying couple? There's one everywhere. Sometimes there was us. <laughs> <laughs> well listen i'll tell you that that's why i wanted you there together you know because we couldn't do that in I, I rio i know that i know that you know well, you know Brad, that's i really Brad, needed that Brad, it was gonna be very weird if we became the annoying couple man you, you were... <laughs> i mean we tried in rio but it just didn't work as well you know so uh, we, um, we do have a bromance bro sometimes but it just hits different yeah yeah but, yeah but we were, we were we were in a good mood and then we tried to to keep this even the races um well the first race was good because this one 21 six like in an easy finish mm, mm. but then we know we knew that next day in the morning he really needs to race so yeah that was that was the challenge so we brought his him uh his dinner to the pool we brought one more muscle therapist to put three guys working on him after the race. Yeah, so I got I got done with my warm down massage and everything with like swiftly. Yeah. Like really fast. Yeah. Just had dinner at the pool, got in the bus, went straight to the room, rest because it's it's hard when you swim prelims at seven. At I night. Mean, you don't you're not finished at seven yeah you still have to come down and calm down from the race have dinner eat, uh swim off and do your ice tub and get to the village and take your shower yeah and calm down lay in the bed lay on bed so i wasn't i wasn't ready to sleep until 11. yeah basically. but on that day you were like 9 30 in your bed yeah and that was perfect so that was perfect and most of people they still had to go to dining hall and yeah. uh, took longer with their warm down routines so yeah. even if we did all that i wasn't sleeping until 11 11 30 and the next day i was gonna have to wake up around between six and seven to get ready to race again the race was uh 
around 11 a.m. But before that, you still need to warm up. You still need to suit up. You still need to have breakfast. You still need to ride the bus to the pool. So you wake up very early. But I'm glad. I'm glad we did it well. But I got to tell you, uh, I had a lot of people texting me, and a lot of people wanted inside information. I, it, I've seen you swim 21 a lot of times. It looked to me like one of the easiest 21 sixes you'd ever swum. You took three breaths, and I felt like, oh, wow, our speed is really on. Now, in the lead-up a couple of days before, I knew our speed was there, but I didn't know how you were going to finish the race. To me, breathing three times on a 21-6, I was like, he's swimming as fast as he's ever swum before. Yeah, because that's the thing. I usually, in prelims, I shut down for about 20 to 50 meters, meters before the wall. But that's exactly what it was missing in our in our preparation. preparation. It was this back end of the race. So it was very easy to sprint to the 30 meter mark and shut down later because it was pretty much just swimming easy, just carrying momentum towards the wall. But when you have to keep sprinting on that last 15, 20 meters and you have to like force it, that's when things start to start to to descend, you know, to shut down. Yeah. But uh, we get there, and it was fun because I swam the twenty one six in the prelims. I got super confident, and then I tell myself, okay, let's go for a PB tomorrow morning. Let's break this Olympic record. And I swim a twenty one six again. I know. I and know. Like, <laughs> what the hell is happening? What in the world is happening? When I try to go fast. And I did it, and I did feel it was going fast. I felt like I think I was racing right beside Flo in that semis, and I also believe Flo was going fast. And when Flo goes fast, that's usually a twenty-one-one. And I was like, God damn it! I'm gonna see a twenty-one-one now. I'm gonna see a twenty-one-two, man. We're so fast. And then both of us look at the look at the scoreboard. And it's kind of the same feeling we had in Cano. We looked at each other and said, dude, are we supposed to go faster than that? I mean, what's really happening? I need to start yeah. racing. I need to start racing on the lane, on the lane near flow because that's becoming a pattern now. <laughs> but um, yeah, and that messes with my confidence again. I was like, I was confident just 10 minutes ago and now I'm not anymore. And that's when I realized that it was like, okay, uh, it's not, you cannot force it if you want to win a medal tomorrow. It's not going to be about speed. The only, the only guy, actually, let, let's talk facts here. The only guy that was truly fast in this 50 freestyle was Caleb. Everybody else was just trying to, to keep up, you know? Yeah. And I was like, okay, I mean, there's no way in the world that anyone just held back. At, sem at Olympic semifinals, everybody just goes for their best. Nobody want to miss out the, nobody want to miss out the final by 100 of a second, you know. So that's yeah. where everybody is right now. Caleb, my trust in everybody. I still, I still want to try to win this thing, but Caleb, it's far ahead. His first. Now, if you want to step in the podium, you just have to figure out mentally, just like we did in uh, in Rome. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it really came down to, Michelle, you and I really didn't talk about kind of the last things we were going to say to Bruno, but it ended up being very similar. You know, my my last words to Bruno before the final were just, hey, man, just we're, we've 
we've gone into a couple of Olympic finals and we've slapped ourselves and we've been wanting to swim fast and we've been under stress and pressure. Like, let's try something different. Let's smile. Let's just enjoy this one. Let's let's let the speed come. Let's uh, and let's really just take in the moment. And I think you said something very similar to him too, right? Yeah. Just be happy and go for it because um, before the finals, we re I realized how fortunate we was. We were. I'm sorry on this 2021 because we start working together again me you and bruno right and we were we were able to travel here united states and do some races uh and then we were more fortunate to to go to europe and do the european circuit because all the guys that was uh on the finals we raced this year so we know everyone that was on that final. And then we understand that nobody was fast. The entire year was, was different, was, was like after the pandemic situation. And I could, I could not just say to him, okay, go there and do your best or go there and touch the wall first. I was like, okay, let's be human here because all Bruno needs was like, just go for it, be happy, smile. And that final was so magical because everybody was cheering for Bruno. Yeah. Everybody, even the swimmers, even the swimmers. So when he touched the wall and he saw he got the medal, it was like every entire stadium was applauding him, was like cheering for him, was, was magical. Yeah. Yeah, it was cool because before before the call room, Michelle just come to me, and actually it was when we talked the least. It was between semis and finals, right? Me and you, and Michelle comes to me and before the call room, and just say, you know what? Just allow yourself to be happy, man. And that's when it clicked to me because coming out of London, actually coming out of the 2011 World Championship, and that's like. 10 years ago, I I was the first seed going to the final and I was lane four in the final and I ended up fifth because I went into the final with this like wanting to win, but like almost like doing too much, you know? Then London, 2012. I'm sorry, but I was there with you, remember? Yeah. Michelle, you were on the Michelle same team I was swimming. <laughs> remember actually when I swam semis in 2011 and I like went to to cheer to, to my wave. team. To wave to my team. I was Michelle, like, Michelle was the first one I saw cheering. She, and she you were says, not dating on that time. Yeah, you were says, just no, friends. She, said, she says that's not true, but she was in love with me since then. No? So, yeah. <laughs> And then 2012, 2012, I go to the Olympics and I finish fourth. And that created, that generated a huge trauma. Because remember, you, you said you were training no, like nobody yeah, else. I had this feeling that nobody else trained harder than me and I still got fourth. So that generated this huge like mental, psychological trauma to me in a matter that I was swimming and uh i was training the coming years using frustration and anger more than any other thing a source of motivation 
you know, and I swam year after year, race after race, based on frustration and anger. And I was almost like angry at myself and angry at the world because I thought nobody trained harder than me. And even, and even like that, I couldn't uh, fulfill my goal, you know. And that's something that we were working around the, the, the previous years. And we still managed to have success going to, just like I said, slapping myself and having this feeling of nobody wants it more than me and just this kind of angry prep talk. But before the Olympic final, it just clicked to me. And in, in like a split second, just came a movie in my mind. And I just thought to myself, that, hey, man, just she's right. Just, just, just be appreciated of being here, you know, just appreciate what you have. Just appreciate that the world is collapsing. I mean, a lot of people couldn't even watch these Olympics because they didn't make through, through COVID, through the pandemic, you know? And yet you're here, you're doing what you love with people you love and uh, you're able to compete, you're competitive in your third Olympic, making your third Olympic straight Olympic final. So dude, just, just, just be happy, you know, just be appreciative about, about all this, all these things. And then I remember that at the car room, everybody was slapping, were slapping themselves. And I just started laughing. And it's fun because I'm always like, I was used to be always like extra worried about being ready, having a body warm and like having a towel around my neck. And I was barefoot with my jacket open before the final. And I was like, just like I didn't, I didn't care about it. I remember the camera just filmed us, just recorded us inside a car room and everybody was like, yes, and shaking and slapping. And I said, oh, look, the camera, that, you know, like just <laughs> that into the camera just, just for a joke. And then I just, I, we, I walked behind the block, walked in the pool and I started talking to myself, say, dude, how cool is that, man? Third Olympic final and you're competing Competing, and when I look at the, and then I look at the the stands. I mean, the entire team was there. Now you've been part of the Brazilian team many times, and you know that it's not part of our culture to cheer for our teammates, right? At least not effusively like the U.S. does. Well, of course, we, we cheer for our teammates, we hope they're best, but we just don't go to the stands to to yell and clap and whistle. And when I looked at the stands, with everybody was there. And I felt really good about it. And I felt really like supported, you know? Yeah. So that's when I just, I completely relaxed, you know, uh, once for all, I just let go this angry mindset, this almost like this tough guy mindset. And I just, just decided to, to raise for my own happiness sakes, you know? Yeah. Well, listen, man, there's a, there's a lot to learn right there for, for us and for yeah. everybody else. You know, there's lessons in that, you know, and uh, I appreciate you being so honest and open, both of you and sharing. Um, I got to wrap this up myself because I got, I got, I got things, got, I got, got my kids right now. So, but uh, <laughs> I, I appreciate the time that you guys have put into put, thinking about this and doing this and sharing with us. Um, uh, one one more question. Are we are we going to Paris? 
I don't want to guarantee anything, but I'm excited to see how's the, how this new mindset carries for the next three years. I can say that. Oh, we go to Paris! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll see, yeah we'll see. I, like, I hope you like croissants, man. We <laughs> oui, oui. oui, All right. Oui. Hey. Listen, this has been fun. It's about really diving into it deep. Get on the inside of this. Uh, I appreciate your time, guys. Much love. Uh, let's let's get some sponsors out here. You know, we need some sponsors for Paris. Oh, Come on. Yes, yes. Uh, there's a contact email on my Instagram bio. Just her name is Danny. Just hit Danny up. Yeah. And uh, support an Olympian for the next Olympic cycle. Let's go. Let's go. All right. Much love, guys. Got to run. Much love, Brad. Thank you. Thank right, you, guys. Bro. Carry All later. Right. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye.